T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. If we're honest, most of us have thought about quitting our jobs at some point in our working lives. Since the pandemic, many people did more than think about it and actually walked away from careers. There can be many reasons for that, and we'll look at some of them later. The trend itself has been called the great resignation or the big quit. It's a catchier, cute phrase which plays well in media, but in some lines of work, that decision to leave a job can be anguishing and the results can leave devastating ripple effects. Some of that was on display last month when Stacey McPherson went before a Louisiana Legislative Committee. McPherson is a former caseworker with the state's Department of Children and Family Services, or DCFS. At the microphone, McPherson did her best to explain why she left DCFS, which handles reports of child abuse, along with many other responsibilities. Um, I was not prepared to talk today, so I brought nothing. But um, as a previous DCFS worker myself, not in this Baton Rouge region, it's a different region, um, in Alexandria, um, I recently left um, the end of July. And I'm going to try not to cry because that was probably the hardest decision I ever made in regards to my career. Um, you know, I've watched these interviews, I've watched these legislative sessions, um, and about how workers need to care about these kids and these children need to be put first. And I know for six years that these children and these families were my life. The hearing was called by the state Senate's Health and Welfare Committee. Its members wanted answers about what's been going on at DCFS after some abuse cases ended with a child dying. One recent case is that of Mitchell Robinson. Back in June, the mother of the two-year-old boy told authorities she found him unresponsive in her home in Baton Rouge. An autopsy later revealed Mitchell died from acute fentanyl toxicity. Whitney Ard, the boy's mother, is now in jail. She's charged with negligent homicide. Records show the little boy had been at the hospital twice before and was treated for suspected drug exposure. Hospital workers said they made reports to DCFS. A third report to the agency was made after toxicology results showed Mitchell had fentanyl in his system during one of the previous times he was taken to the hospital. In addition to that, his parents had both been arrested in the spring of this year after a drug bust at their home. Despite the warnings sent to DCFS, Mitchell Robinson stayed under his mother's care. According to DCFS, the caseworker handling the calls about Mitchell Robinson was on sick leave in between the report of drug exposure and his death. The agency said that worker's supervisor should have taken up the case. It never happened. 
at the committee hearing. Good morning, everybody. Marquita Garner-Walters, Secretary of the Department of Children and Family Services. The head of DCFS told legislators about the kind of pressure her workers are under as their staffing levels have shrunk over the years. Marquita Garner-Walters said the pandemic exposed the severity of that situation. She has about 400 positions to fill. What we hear consistently over and over and over is, I don't have work-life balance. I go home late after having a long day, and I still feel the burden of my caseload when I go home. I neglect my family because I'm worried about the kids in my caseload. I can't get to everything I'm supposed to do, and that makes me nervous, anxious, scared, frightened, worried about my um, license as a social worker. I feel a burden that I can't let go of. And I don't know how to be more clear or succinct than that. When we are working people beyond their capacity to feel like they're doing good work and that they are anxious because there aren't enough um, hands on the plow to, to do the good work that they're supposed to do, that they want to do, that they felt called to do to come here. People do come to this agency because they want to serve. They want to help people. They don't come for the pay. They don't come for the glory. They don't come for anything else. They come because they want to help people. And when they don't feel like they're doing a good job, then they leave. And we hear that consistently over and over and over. Here's more from Stacy McPherson describing how her job as a caseworker dominated her life. It took precedence over my own children. It took precedence over my mother who was sick and is now deceased and I can't get any of that time back with my kids or my mother because I devoted myself to this job 24-7. And Rinda Hodnett and Marquina Walters know this. I've emailed them. I have stated on numerous occasions the concerns in the region that I was in, the, the toxicity in these, these work environments that gave not just myself, but coworkers extreme anxiety um, the symptoms of almost PTSD of having to return to these offices the next day or on a Monday. One lawmaker asked the secretary how her staffing compares to similar departments in other states. Does somebody have the, the secret sauce in other states that have basically come up with a better balance, a, a better way of doing it? Because it looks like it's not just this year. It looks like it's, it's systemic within the occupation. It, it truly is child welfare across the nation is facing this. This is not a Louisiana-specific incidence. If you talk to any child welfare system in the nation, they will tell you they are struggling with staffing. For a social welfare agency like DCFS, a labor shortage can hit from different directions, according to Patrick Button. I am an associate professor of economics at Tulane University. I'm also the executive director of the Data Hub. We're a data literacy center at Tulane. Professor Button says staffing shortages, like the ones we've been seeing in virtually every field of work throughout the pandemic, can be especially crippling in sectors like social welfare agencies or police forces, because the need for their services 
tend to go up during hard times. So we look at you know social assistance, social welfare as as a, a kind of case study. Uh, you know, they've been hit with a lot of different things. So on the one side, you know, one issue behind worker shortages is always like labor supply and labor demand. So the labor supply angle, like COVID affected a lot of people's ability to work. So, you know, we're seeing labor supplies down. Some people had to leave the workforce permanently because they died or they developed disabilities or they had childcare, elder care responsibilities, had to move, things like that, barriers to work. Uh, so we're seeing fewer people able to work due to COVID-19 and lingering issues there. And then on the demand side, we've seen an increased demand due to the pandemic and related issues, you know, increased demand for these social services. So when you add increased demand, reduced supply, that's creating this big shortage. So shortage is driven by both of those elements. So that's sort of driving a lot of these factors that we're seeing. And that's really hitting that that industry particularly hard and putting a lot of stress on an industry that was already probably underfunded um, and putting additional strain on these people that are working extremely hard to do important work. That work Professor Button mentioned is important because the stakes involved are often very high in social services. Back at the committee hearing, Secretary Walters framed it this way. The difference in our agency when you don't perform your best is that horrible things happen. Since COVID, the absence of workers in many cases has greatly affected the performance of the ones left behind. Take the New Orleans Police Department, for example. While its numbers were already dropping before the pandemic, its manpower sunk to historic lows in the past two years, and the city is now scrambling to bring down a surge in violent crime and murders. Over the summer, I spoke with former NOPD officers about many topics. One of them was how a shortage of officers slowed their ability to respond to emergencies. There was an unbearable backlog and not being able to get the backlog down and going from call to call that had been holding for hours, if not days, and going to calls where people are just yelling at you saying they don't need the police anymore because, yeah, they've waited two days for us to come and help them. It got to a point where, you know, you're going to work and you've got three or four people on a good night for 200 square miles in the third district. And if any more than like one major incident happened at once, it's extremely unsafe. I think it speaks to the frustration of uh, men and women going to work with only maybe three or four other people working at night. Uh, it, busy night in the fifth district or sixth or seventh district, you know, and, and, and they're overwhelmed and, and something happens to your, your backup might be a ways away, you know, and you're out there by yourself. We primarily use one man vehicles or one person cars. You're involved in something. You, you might be waiting for some backup. Smaller cities like Bogalusa are also struggling to recruit more police. Making things harder, a rural police department like Bogalusa's doesn't have a large pool of candidates. It's hard to re recruit and re retain people. And so we probably, you know, we have four to four people on a shift. We probably need six or seven. We have four detectives. We probably need seven or eight. It, we never have enough personnel and we're constantly having somebody leaving, somebody retiring, somebody quitting, somebody going somewhere else. So as soon as you think you got your numbers just a little bit better, something happens and it, you never get your numbers where they need to be. At Doranex in Metairie, the family-owned grocery store has tried to hire more workers, but the number of people following through with their applications has been inconsistent. I would say for a while it was more on the 
heavier end of people not showing up. So maybe 60-70% of people would not show up. Some people would show up for their interview and orientation, show up for one day of work, and then never show back up. Economics professor Patrick Button says we're witnessing the impact of labor shortages in small and big ways. Absolutely, yeah. It ranges from yeah, having to wait longer to, to do checkout at, at you know, Walgreens versus you know, the police officers aren't able to arrive in time and that can lead to deadly consequences. Uh, I think one thing we've kind of realized is sort of like how a wrench thrown in one system can kind of lead to issues all around in several different systems. It's just things don't move as efficiently or as quickly as we like uh, compared to how things did previously. These disruptions may stay with us for a while. Professor Button says it's estimated the U.S. has roughly 2.5 million fewer people in the labor force than it did before the pandemic. And I think it's probably hard for you to answer that. Do we anticipate them to get back into the field? Because now we have so many gaps in so many uh, gradually, like some some of those people are going to leave permanently. So, for example, a lot of older workers retired early um, and they usually don't come back. I mean, they might partly come back, but that's not always the case. The, and some people that left to, say, apply for Social Security Disability Insurance, they're probably not going to come back. But some people are, are, are more flexible. So maybe, for example, you know, as um, access to child care increases... Um, you know, maybe some women will be able to sort of re-enter the labor market more because they face fewer barriers to being able to work. Um, so we will start to see some of these people sort of gradually come back. Absolutely. But, you know, some people were permanently lost uh, for different reasons. Sometimes those reasons don't have a dollar amount attached to them. In attempts to hire and retain more people, employers have started to offer better pay. The NOPD recently announced new pay incentives. But one former officer told me he left the force because of internal politics and a toxic work environment. It didn't have anything to do with pay. I mean, and, and I left for a job that pays less money. During the committee hearing on problems at DCFS, pay raises were also brought up as a means to boost staffing and morale. But similar to some former officers who left the NOPD, Stacy McPherson said the paycheck had nothing to do with her decision to quit her job as a caseworker. I really felt like in my heart that I did everything for them that I could do. I have continued as I sit here today. I am not working. I have not worked since I left DCFS. And I will tell you, I made over $43,000 a year after six years of being there. The money is not the issue. The five people that left this one office as foster care workers within the last five weeks, five workers left, 20 years five years, six years, eight years, they've been there. Um, none of it was money. The secretary for DCFS admitted monetary incentives don't seem to be enough to keep their workers. One quick example, last week, one of our best managers left and took a job as a clerical worker for a construction company, cut in pay, and said, I just need to be able to go home and be with my family and not feel the burden of this work. I just need a break. Professor Button says as we continue to emerge from the pandemic, it's noticeable that employees' mental health is increasingly being prioritized. I, I think it's a big factor. I think mental health, as we're starting to realize how big mental health is and, you know, the ability to work and sort of how mental health affects our daily lives. And so, 
you know, mental health related disabilities or just mental health conditions really do affect uh, work capacity quite a bit. And we have seen an increase in mental health conditions, increases anxiety, depression, a host of other conditions, and those absolutely affect ability to work. So that's absolutely at play here. And I think now we're starting to realize that we can't take the mental health side for granted as much as as we have. Like it used to be that, you know, we would kind of focus more on physical health and mental health was kind of stigmatized. And now we're starting to realize that we need to treat them at parity. Button says it can take several years for labor markets to adjust after a major event. In the wake of the Great Recession from the financial crisis of 2007, Button says manpower in some sectors didn't recover until 2013. Considering how far-reaching the COVID-19 pandemic has been, agencies like DCFS may be in a potentially prolonged period of low staffing. But in the short term, and in the face of public outcry, its leadership had to offer some kind of plan to address their current crisis. So recruiting, retaining, and supporting staff and foster caregivers, everything from conducting job fairs, open houses, our partnership with the universities. So we are putting all of those things in higher gear. Members of DCFS also brought up possible partnerships with local welfare and law enforcement agencies to help in low-risk cases and home visits. But as the past two years have taught us, those departments are likely dealing with their own staffing shortages. In New Orleans, I'm Tan Trung for WWL Radio. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.